Hey, you know, I want to share something that's really deeply on my heart this morning. I probably could say that every Sunday, but in a special way, I, I have this not only in my heart this morning, but it's, it's really been something that's been, been, a part, been a part of my heart. It's something that, I, that I, I want to go deeply into. I feel like I've just kind of waded into the water a little bit on, but I feel like we want to go, I want to go, and I want us as a church to go way further, way deeper into this. You know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, the believers in Christ came into a closeness with one another that had never been seen before. The baptism of the Holy Spirit broke down walls between people like never before. Immediately after this outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, it says they, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves basically to being together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day. That's important. Daily or every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes or from house to house. They ate their meals together with glad and sincere hearts. And Acts 4.32 says, And all the believers were one in heart and in soul. One of the pagan writers said about these early Christians, Behold, how they love one another. The Holy Spirit came when God poured out His Spirit upon the early church. It made them a community of new people. They saw each other in a totally new way than they they did before. They were with each other. They lived with each other in a sense. They were for each other. They enjoyed each other. They admired and appreciated each other. There was no spirit of competition or rivalry or selfish ambition. There was a spirit of belonging to each other. They were brought so close to each other that it was like they were one person. And that, I think that's what the phrase means, that they were one in heart and one in, one in soul. I mean, how, 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 could we, how could you get closer to someone else than to be one in heart and one in soul with them? But that was what the Holy Spirit did and accomplished. And that is what God is working into our hearts today. That's what God wants to do in his people today too. Our key verse for this, this series, we're in a series, if, if you're here for the first time, you may not realize we're in the midst of a series called the Spirit-Filled Church. And we use our key verse, Ephesians 2.22, which says, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Fantastic verse. I love that. That is church being built together to become a dwelling 
in which God lives by his spirit. But I want to focus this morning on on that, that first phrase, being built together. Because that's what God is doing. He's building us together into a place where his spirit can dwell. One commentator, commentator said this, this creating, this building or growing that Paul writes about here is the process by which we come to have more and more in common with each other so that there can be this continuing, deepening fellowship. You know, we're not told to live in a commune. We're not told to do exactly the same things that the early church did, but we are called to the same fellowship, the same sense of community. In a spirit-filled church or a spirit-formed church, in a church in which the Holy Spirit is truly forming, we are a part of one another. We are connected. You belong to me and I belong to you. We are one in heart, or we are becoming one in heart and soul. You know, I listened to a pastor this week, and it's, it's amazing how I often hear things that are just so fitting uh, that go in with the message, and I, 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 I believe that's the Holy Spirit's leading. But I happened to listen to a pastor this week who tell, told about a time when in their church they felt led to leave their denomination, and they had to give up their church building, so they had to meet in rented buildings on Sunday, which we know all about here at Real Life Church, only in their city, there were no buildings that they could rent consecutively every Sunday. So the pastor had to send out a letter. This is before texting and email. The pastor had to send out a letter every week to tell them, tell the church where they would meet the next Sunday. And obviously, it was a difficult time. In most churches, you would think, hey, that's the end of the church right there. But during that difficult time, he said, he said this to his church. He said, if we have nothing else to offer the body of Christ, we have this, that we love each other. And if we lose everything, we still have the best thing of all. We have each other. And that attitude reveals to me some, something of, of the depth of understanding about the church that most people do not have. If we had nothing but Jesus Christ and each other, we would still have all we need to be a wonderful church. <laughs> we would still have the best things of all. Because the church is relationships. It's relationship with, with Jesus Christ, relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son, and relationship with each other. And just as you were born physically into a family, you were born of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, into a spiritual family in which you were meant to grow up. And just as you were meant to grow up in your physical or your human family, you were meant to grow up in this spiritual family, born of the Spirit, placed by the Spirit into this spiritual family of God. And I know it sounds so, so trite, and the world even, even says this, and it, it, it can sound so kind of syrupy, simple, stupid even, but we are family. We are a spiritual family, born of the Holy Spirit, connected to one another by the Holy Spirit, and we're to grow in that kind of relationship with each other. So being a spirit-filled believer 
And being a spirit-filled church is largely about being a part of this living spiritual body we call the church. The church is not primarily an, 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 you know, an organi- organization with kind of an organizational chart and we come and do our duties or our jobs. It's not primarily a system of programs and activities. It is primarily relationships with one another in the Holy Spirit. And by the pow- empowering or working or enablement of the Holy Spirit, each one doing his or her part for the good and the encouragement and the growth of the others. Which brings us back to our passage that we read. And I'm going to read it again only out, out of the NIV. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the picture, very simply here, is Christ is the head. Each of us draws our life and love from Jesus Christ and then feeds and serves the others, and we all grow up together into Christ. But this growing, this spiritual growth, this growing up into him, into Christ, as, as Josh put it, is a group project. It's a community thing. It's something that we do in relationship, in fellowship, in deep fellowship with one another. Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 both use the... the use the analogy of the body uh, for the church, or the analogy that's used in Scripture for the church. I would say the primary analogy used in Scripture for the church is the human body. We are connected to one another as the human body is connected by joints and ligaments and tissue. Or That's, that's, that's the, the uh, language used in Ephesians Chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how we're, we're as connected to one another as your eye is to your hand or any part of your body, as your toe is to your foot. We are, we are that connected to one another. And the, the life of Jesus Christ comes through each of us by the Spirit to each other. So each one of us is a, is, a, is a conduit of life, of the life of Christ to each other. And, and so we grow in this environment of being together, not isolated, not on our own. And as Paul said, the whole body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love particularly a verse in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that reveals how it is the Holy Spirit who is the life-giving power of this church body. In verse 7, Paul said, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, we've been talking about how the whole body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, how does each part does, do its work? How do I do my work? Well, it's, it's, this, it's this supernatural, spiritual thing, the Holy Spirit, 
manifests or shows or reveals or makes known himself through each one of us for the common good. The ISV says, to each person has been given the ability to manifest the spirit for the profit of all or, for the com- again, for the common good. So the Holy Spirit has, has come into your life to, to manifest himself through you to other believers. He's come into your life to show himself, to reveal himself. I don't know how else to put it, but manifest, I think, is a great word. I love that word. Uh, so, but the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is shining through you in some way, manifesting through you for the good of everybody else around you. And the Holy Spirit has come into others, other people in the church, to flow through their life and personality so that you can receive something from them, so that you can receive something from them in which you need to grow and be made complete. So there's, there's this sense of giving and receiving, of, of taking, and, taking and giving, if you will, or something, something like that. You, but you are, in a, you are in a church body, you are in a church family to manifest something from the Spirit and to receive something from the Spirit through others. So, so we're, we're in this spiritual living organism we call the church and we're continually giving something of the Spirit to others, and we're continually receiving something of the Holy Spirit from, from other people. Giving and receiving. That's, that's what it's like in the church. That's, what, that's why all the, the phrases, one another. It's not just me to you. It's, not, it's, it's you to me. It's both. It's not one or the other. We're giving and receiving. We're manifesting and receiving manifestation from the Holy Spirit through others. And it, I mean, there's a mystery to it. There, there's a, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing that's happening, but the result is this amazing thing called spiritual growth and transformation, and we, we become different people, and we grow up into Jesus Christ the head as all of this is happening, it says in Ephesians 4. And I know I'm jumping, jumping back between Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, but later, later in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, he says, Just as the body has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. We were all given one spirit to drink, yet the body is not made of one part but many. I love the, some of the images here. You know, we, the, we were baptized. We saw baptism here a couple of weeks ago, a wonderful event. And, and the scriptures, we were all baptized into the Spirit. I mean, just like people were immersed in water and saturated with water and they got wet and they went down into the water. It says we've been, we've been baptized into the Spirit. And we've all, we've all drank of the Holy Spirit. We've all been given one Holy Spirit to drink. I mean, little different images, but you get, the, you get, it communicates something powerful. We've been given the Holy Spirit to drink. He's come in and as, as Romans 5, he, God has poured out his Spirit into our hearts. He's, 
we have drank of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this oneness that comes because we've all been baptized into the same Spirit. We've all drank of the same Spirit, but yet we are not all one part. The Holy Spirit expresses himself differently through each of us. So, it, so Paul says, even though we are all given one spirit to drink, yet the body is not made up of one part, but many. That's, uh, I, believe, I believe that's verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12. So no one person is complete within themselves. Even though we all drank of the Holy Spirit, yet he gives, that, that he gives in 1 Corinthians 12, it says he gives different gifts, different ministries, and different effects. So, you know, you, you, have, you have a different spiritual gift. You have a different ministry, a different way that you serve. And you even have a different effect. And we all have a different effect on each other. And it's from the Holy Spirit. But because we, all, because we have all these different gifts and different ministries and different effects... We, we need you. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Like a human body that needs each of, each of its members, it's the same with the church. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we cannot say, no member of the body can say, I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now, my purpose this morning is not really to teach on spiritual gifts. Uh, we're actually pr- probably going to do that later on in this teaching series. But my, but my purpose is to show us how, how interdependent, how interrelated we are. My purpose is, is to call us into deeper relationships and devotion to one another, to make us realize that it is God's will to build us together. Remember our, going back to our, our, our Ephesians 2.22, we are being built together. God is building us together into a dwelling for his spirit, into a place where God lives by his spirit. But it, it, we can't ignore that first part that, we being, that we're being built together. It's like that's what has to happen um, as kind of the foundation. We're built together so that God can come and live with us by His Spirit. So my purpose is to call us into a deeper sense of belonging to one another, of needing one another. And it has a purpose. It's not, it's not just so that we can, uh, you know... It's, it's, it's not just so there's, and I hate, hate to say this because I think we actually need this, but it's not just so that we can have this kind of a kind of syrupy, warm feelings for each other, I, but I think we should actually, but it's not just for that, okay? It's not just for that. It, it's so that we can, it's, it, as I said, it's so that we can function together and feed and fuel and nourish each other so that we can grow up into Christ in all aspects into Christ. There's a goal. There's a reason that we, that we, that we do this. Being, being together is not, not simply an end in itself as important as it is. And I just, 
uh, submit to you, I, I declare to you that this is the Spirit-filled church. And without that, we aren't a Spirit-filled church. There's a song that I heard a long time ago. I actually think Cindy heard it at a women's conference and shared it with, with me. Very simple, but I, I actually think it's very profound if we really grasp it. It's almost childlike in its simplicity. But it says, I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It's his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. I pray for you. You pray for me. I love you. I need you to survive. I think it's, I think it's powerful. Understood in the context of Scripture and the relationships that we're talking about this morning, it's powerful. You know, in the New Testament, we see believers meeting together, uh, encouraging one another, praying for one another, uh, eating meals together, being a part of one another, feeding one another spiritually, caring for one another. I mean, the kind of things that we're talking about this morning, it was so much the norm that these kinds of, of, of relationships are assumed in, in every letter to every church. And I'm not saying that the early church was perfect by no means. I mean, they had, they had their problems. I'm not trying to, to preach some uh, idyllic, uh, unrealistic picture of the early church, but in all the letters to the New Testament churches, this the commands, the instructions, the things that the, the apostles talk about, they all assume this one another connection to each other. When someone became a believer, they became a functioning part of the church. They became a, par- a functioning part of one another relationships. There was, an, there was never a thought that this was optional. In fact, most of the commands in the New Testament cannot, cannot be obeyed outside of a church family. You just think about all the things that we're told to do. I mean, the letters to the churches don't even make sense unless we're in a real living fellowship with one another. You can't pray for one another, sing to one another, be at peace with one another, bear one another's burdens, serve one another, love one another without being with one another. You can't use your spiritual gifts for the common good if you're not part of the common fellowship. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to move on to some other passages in Scripture that, that, that give similar uh, exhortations or create a similar picture here. Ephesians 10, or I'm sorry, uh, Hebrews 10:24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this verse simply says, or it tells us to not give up meeting together. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't depart from the pattern of meeting continually with other believers. And the writer of Hebrews acknowledged that some people are in the habit of, of doing that. Some people just fall into that habit of staying away, staying home, isolating. And he says, don't do it. 
It's not a good habit to fall into. And some people are probably more prone to that temptation than others. But writer of Hebrews in this place, actually in some others, describes the, the, uh, the danger of that. Because as we are together, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. So we, we need to be together because it stimulates us to love more, to do more, to grow more. We stimulate one another. You're encouraged, but also you encourage others. You know, at, at, at some point, at some point in your Christian walk, in some point in your relationship with God, you have to come to the point where you cross over from it being all about you to the point where it's really about others, that you come for others. At some point, you have to cross over to that point where you say, I am here to give my life away in Jesus' name for others, primarily. Okay? We're, we're here to receive too, but, but some people, honestly, just that, that, that is, that's like a, a thought from outer space. It's never even entered, entered their mind that basically I am called through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit to be a manifester of the Holy Spirit for the good and the profit of others. You know, as Denny DeGroat used to say, it's not about you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really about it, whether you think you'll get anything out of it or whether you need it, whether you feel you need it or not or whether you feel like it or not, or whether you feel like it's easy for you to come or not, it's, there, there's this huge component about being called and understanding your call to come to love and encourage and give yourself away to others. And maybe even just, maybe just trust by faith that the Holy Spirit will manifest himself through you to others. Maybe, maybe you, go, you go to a Bible study, a meeting, a group, a fellowship, and you have no idea how God can use you but just, hey, it says the Holy Spirit was given to me to manifest himself for the good of others. I'm just going to go by faith that the Holy Spirit will show up through me and bless other people. And so you go with that motive and that purpose. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The church is a place of devotion. And a f- devotion to one another and affection for one another. So the, these relationships that we're called to, they're, they're, not, to be, they're not to be shallow. They're not to be uh, something we just take or leave that don't really matter. Um, we're, we're, we're called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. First uh, Peter, I don't, I don't have the chapter verse, but you know where, it's where he says, honor the king, but love the brotherhood. He says, okay, yeah, honor the king. Honor the king, but love the brotherhood. I love, I really like that. The ISV says, uh, keep on loving the community of believers. Love the brotherhood. You know, we're to love each other so much that wild horses couldn't keep us apart. You know, and I, I have no, no desire uh, to turn this message this morning or for anyone here to interpret this message as some sort of uh, legalistic pressure where I'm legislating some kind of pressure 
to be at meetings or Bible studies or church or Wednesday night, whatever, that nothing could be further from the truth. My whole desire is to awaken our hearts for the Holy Spirit to give us the grace and the revelation to awaken us to a, to a love for one another that, that, as I said, wild horses couldn't keep us apart. We want to be with each other. 1 John 5, 1 says, whoever, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everybody say amen to that. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is the Christ is born of God. And whoever is born of God loves the child born of him. Whoever is born of God loves the child or loves the children born of God. Those who are born of God love others born of God, in other words, and love to be with them. You know, sometimes I'll hear that so-and-so is saved, in, uh, and I don't mean this in a condemning way, but sometimes I hear about somebody that, that, oh yeah, they're saved, and it's like, hmm, I've never, never seen them have any real interest in being with the Lord's people. Um, so, so it makes me raise the question, do, do, do they love? They, you know, they say or somebody says they're born again. Do, do they love the family of God? Do they love to be with God's people? And if they don't, to me, that leaves some doubts as to where, really where, where they're at, truly. Because it says that those who are born of God love, whoever is born of God loves the child born of him. Now, I want to share uh, briefly some ways of thinking that keep us from really connecting with each other. Ways of thinking that keep us from really connecting in the spirit with each other. Number one, that we're, we're satisfied to live without this close communion of the saints. You know, the rule of the kingdom is that we get what we ask for and seek for. God gives us only what we truly hunger for. And so I, I, I would ask us, do we want this? It's not, not to be a guilt-producing question. It's just an examination. Do, do, is, is this something we, we really want? Or, or are we content to just say that we are brothers? Or are we content to just say that we're family or that we're one body, but, but really remain kind of detached and distant and indifferent to each other? How much, how much love and fellowship in the Spirit do we do we really want? Number two, again, ways of thinking that keep us from really connecting to each other. Uh, I don't see that it matters if I'm there or not. I am not important and feel that I have nothing to offer. Well, that comes from a lie from, from the devil himself. It come, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blinding lie from Satan that causes you to fail to see yourself as an instrument of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Your life and personality and abilities are instruments through which the Holy Spirit will bless others. And don't forget that. Even take it by faith, even. I have to a lot. Number three, I stay close to the Lord without going to church. You know, I know that's so common, I almost shouldn't even put it down there, but, but I think even sometimes people in the church think that way. You know, I don't really, I, I can stay close. I can walk with the Lord and just, I'll show up once in a while. I don't, but it just isn't true. You can be so easily deceived on your own. And 
thinking that you can be close to God on your own, that you can grow up, do all that you need to do and become spiritually on your own, is, is just a, a, it's a denial of everything that this pa- these passages that we read in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 4, that we need one another to grow together into, uh, to grow up in, into Christ. Number four, I hear inner voices that say, you don't fit in there or you don't fit in here. These people are not like you. They are not your age. Their families are different. Their lives are different. You know, one lady came to, a, I think it was a life group. I hope I have this story right. I know I have the quote right. Came to a life group and, and said after, afterwards something this, I was sitting there thinking, what do I have in common with these people? I mean, that is such bad thinking. <laughs> but I think people think that way. You know, they go to something, what do I have in common with these people? Well, as Michael Brown said, what we share in com- common is far greater than whatever our differences are. Satan plants this, this thought of, the, the, you know, I don't fit in. Satan plants this thought in almost everyone's mind at some time. But the Bible says we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And I would say if the Holy Spirit can make people as different, I mean, if, 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 I, I can't really take time to teach this, but if you know how different Jews and Greeks were and the animosity and the differences and how different in, these, in the New Testament world, how different slaves and freed men were and their lives and circumstances, their whole socioeconomic picture, if you knew how different that was, and yet they were all baptized by the Spirit into one body, then you would they maybe give you the faith that God can make you one with the people around you that, that we have so little differences from, in, really in comparison to that. And, and again, it is the Spirit that makes us one. It's not because... We are like other people or other people are like us. It's because we've all drank of one spirit. Number five, again, ways of thinking that keep us from really connecting with each other the way we should. Number five, I am really busy. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, just, that's just what we say all the time. I'm really busy. Why? And that's, that's what keeps us apart. I have so many other things to do on weekends or Bible study times or whenever fellow opportunities are for fellowship. Um, I'm, just, I'm just so busy, I can't, I can't hang out with other believers. And honestly, for some people, um, fellowship with the saints, church meetings, when we assemble together, Church things are things we do if nothing else at all happens to come up. And we all have things that come up occasionally that keep us from being with other saints. Uh, But in the end, we all end up doing what we really want to do and decide to do and choose to do. We all do what we really want to do. It's not because you're too busy. So ask the Lord to give you such a love for being with his people that that becomes the priority around which you organize your life.
and your other activities. Number six, I don't want my pain, sorrows, or my faults or weaknesses to be exposed. But when you, when you feel pains and faults and sorrows, that's the very times you most badly need to assemble with the saints. And we're not here to put on a front. You know, sometimes I, I've prayed at our, our, our Wednesday night group. You know, we, just, we come and I just want there to be such an environment of love and acceptance and an affirmation from one another. And sometimes I've just felt led to pray, you know, Lord, we're here without pretense. We're not here to put on a front. We're not here to impress each other in any way. We're just, we're just here to come together in, in, in Jesus' name. If we have needs, so be it. That's what we're here for. We come because we're needy. We come to the cross. We come to the fellowship of the saints because we're needy. We come because we're thirsty. Number seven, I'm not good enough. I don't want to be a part of that Bible study or church. I don't want to come because I'm just, I'm just not good enough. Well, in the church, we don't even think in that category. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a way or a category that we even think in in the, in the church that whether we're good enough or not. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which most of us know that part of the verse. Most of us don't know the rest of the verse. I think it might be verse 24. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we, when we come together, we come as one people, all sinners, all justified freely by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We come purchased by the blood of Christ. Saying that I'm not going to come because I'm not good enough can be a cover-up for wanting to stay where you're at spiritually and with what's comfortable for you. And do you know that it's actually good to be around people who are more mature than you? It's actually good to be around people who pray more than you, who have more faith or are living in more joy than you. Proverbs 13, 20 says, those who walk with wise men will be wise. I mean, if, so, I mean, even if you don't feel like, hey, I'm not at the place that I need to be. I'm not, you know, I'm not as mature as I need to be. I've got these issues I'm struggling with. Uh, I'm not maybe as mature as somebody. Well, that shouldn't keep you from wanting to be together. You should say, hey, all the more, I need to be around people that will pull, pull me up. I need to, be, I need to walk with wise people people because I I want to be wise. Number eight, I don't want to risk being hurt again. I don't know what the number of people is who don't go to church any longer because of some painful situation, but it is a large number. And I mean, there's, it's, it's a, it it can be a a reality. I'm, I'm not denying it. People can, people can get to get hurt. But I want to say this, the danger of isolating yourself because you have felt hurt, the danger of isolating yourself is far greater than the danger of whatever you might be afraid of happening to you at church. (laughs) And love involves risk. Love involves, I mean, the very nature of giving yourself to someone in a relationship, it involves risk. The more love, in a sense, the more risk. 
And then I think you have to realize, you know, probably you have hurt someone in your lifetime too. You may not have realized it, but, you know, so there's probably somebody somewhere in the world that say, you know, I was really hurt by so-and-so. And then just you got to realize that nurse, nursing hurt feelings, nursing hurts and pains is, is, is a dead-end street. It's not a good, good place to go to or not a good place to stay. So many times we just, if we've been hurt, we just need to humble ourselves, start living for others, and jump back in. No, no, no other real good answer. I'm going to close this morning. You know, and what, church, I'm going to humbly ask you to, to we're going to have Lord's Supper. David's going to come up here and do the Lord's Supper here. I'm going to ask you to just hang with, with us for a couple more minutes. Are you doing, doing okay? And, and may God's grace be upon teachers here. I want to close by a story uh, of the Moravian Church. Uh, the Moravian Church was made up of Christian refugees fleeing persecution. And they settled in Germany on land owned by a wealthy Christian named Count Zinzendorf. They were unusually sincere and sacrificial, but they experienced conflict and jealousy, selfish ambition, the normal things that people being together often experience. They lacked oneness, and it deeply troubled Count Zinzendorf. He spent hours and nights in prayer for the the Moravian people. And while they were sharing communion, on the morning of August 13, 1727, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it became known as the Moravian Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit worked in a powerful, incredible way that morning. One author described it this way. All who had quarreled in days gone by made a covenant of loyalty and love to each other. They attained the firm conviction that they were all one in Christ. They had the gift of Christian union. They had won that spirit of brotherly love which only the great good spirit could give. They had won that fellowship with Christ and with one another. A Moravian poet wrote about this whole experience and said this, They walked with God in peace and love, but failed with one another. While sternly for the faith they strove, brother fell out with brother. But he in whom they put their trust, who knew their frames that they were dust, pitied and healed their weakness. One cup they drank, one bread they broke, one baptism shared, one language spoke, forgiving and forgiven, Then forth they went with tongues of flame in one blessed theme, delighting the love of Jesus and his name, God's children all uniting. And the the Moravian simply said, we learned to love one another. And it seemed as if, one quote was, it seemed as if God had taken all our differences out of our hearts. And out of that work of the Holy Spirit, that morning came a prayer meeting that went on 24 hours a day for 114 years. And it, is, it has been said by church historians that this small group of people did more to evangelize the entire world in the following 20 years than the entire church had done in the previous 200 years. 
When the Holy Spirit falls, he makes us closer than we've ever been before. When the Holy Spirit falls, he breaks down the walls like never before. He makes us understand that we belong to one another. He makes us of one heart and one soul. He builds us together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. Let's pray.